0: cost, but it's quite another to compete with Mother's Day. Um, and so uh, I suspect there are brunch reservations from sea to shining sea uh, this morning. Um, and a matter of fact, last night one of my daughters uh, said, Dad, why don't, we, uh, why don't we go out to lunch after the second service, take Mom to lunch? And I said, 8 o'clock on Saturday night, it's way too late for that. Uh, we'll have to come up with plan B. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, first of all, let me just say it's good to see you all and good to be at All Saints. And, um, uh, and the, the schedule um, often doesn't allow for a little time between the services, but I'm very glad it did today. Um, and, uh, and it's wonderful to have some time uh, with, with just whoever can come, uh, just for a little conversation, see what's going on, um, and, um, and Noel was um, both kind enough and, and mean enough. Um, uh, in the same sentence to say, I think the sentence was just two words, uh, uh, topic, colon, your choice. <laughs> well, I mean, that's uh, w- one side of that is real nice because then I can sort of talk about whatever I want to. The other side of that, however, is what? Uh, I, had to, I had to sit around thinking about what I'm going to talk about, uh, whereas if she just tells me, then at least half of that's done. Um, and uh, and so forth. But anyway, uh, no, actually what I want to do this morning is, um, as I have the opportunity to do this in most of our congregations around the diocese, I usually take the first 10 or 12 minutes and tell you a little bit about what's going on, uh, both in the diocese and around the church and around the communion, just sort of the nickel tour. Um, and, uh, and then for the remainder of the time, we have for a, about a half hour here, uh, um, uh, we will, for the remainder of the time, we'll play Stump the Bishop. Uh, and you all can sort of ask me anything you want about any of that stuff or, or anything else that um, I might, in fact, uh, might be on your mind. But let me just say a couple of things. First of all, I hope you've read that um, um, uh, we have a new uh, assisting, assistant, I had to get the terminology correct, assistant bishop uh, in the diocese. Uh, his name is uh, Bishop Keith Whitmore. Uh, he comes to us from the Diocese of Eau Claire, which are the northwestern counties of the state of Wisconsin uh... in the uh... beretta belt as we uh, sometimes say um, and uh, he is a native of wisconsin uh... and while he has served parishes in other parts of the country was dean of the cathedral in kansas for example other kinds of places uh... he and his wife are both wisconsin natives so this is their first foray into the real south uh... but we are very glad to have them um, and uh... he's already been out he's making a visitation this morning he's already been out to several uh... uh meetings and clergy groups and taught a few classes. I mean he, it's really been wonderful to have him on board and no doubt uh, you'll be seeing him here for some events uh, coming up at All Saints in, in the next few years but it's a, a great uh, great joy to have him on board which means that at least one of the bishops you will see uh, with, uh, with greater frequency uh, uh, and, and that's really uh, the principal gift that he will bring us but he's also uh, uh, going to be able to do lots of other things, lead all kinds of other work for us um, and really do a lot of those things which uh, Uh, that it's impossible for one person to get done. Uh, And so I'm very grateful uh, for his coming among us, and I'm sure you will get to know him and enjoy him. Um, Everybody that's met him thus far have have really said, you know, yes, good, right. So I'm very, very pleased by that. Um, A couple of other things, as you know, um, um, I just spent, um, well, no, you wouldn't necessarily know this. Um, I want to say that I just spent uh, the last two days in Sewanee, uh, those of you who are uh, related to Swani one way or another it's the, the uh, end of the 150th anniversary year of the, of the of the of the university and uh and the two featured headliners uh f- to close the 150th anniversary were our presiding bishop uh Catherine Jefferts Shorey, and the archbishop emeritus of Cape Town Desmond Tutu um, and they were they were there and uh and both gave uh, wonderful addresses and uh were both there they were really white one right Write wonderful cells, uh, Really quite a, uh, an occasion and and I, I took the um, privilege of extending your greetings particularly uh, not, not just to the presiding bishop but also to to Bishop Tutu because as you know um, he spent a lot of time in Atlanta, taught at Emory after his retirement, uh, lived in Atlanta for a good bit of his time after his retirement, uh, kind of turned up around here when you never quite knew he was coming uh, and I've heard clergy uh, that was just before I arrived seven years ago, but I've heard clergy say that they always lived in sort of a, a semi-state of panic uh, during those three years when Archbishop Tutu lived in town because you just never knew when you were going to look up on a Sunday morning and he going to be sitting there, and all of a sudden the stakes went way up. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and so, uh, and, uh, but it was um, wonderful to see them both, and, and Bishop Tutu in particular wanted, uh, wanted, to say, wanted me to say to all the people of Atlanta, uh, he looks forward to, to visiting. He still has family here in town uh, and to, to, see, uh, to see us all again. Uh, Archbishop Tutu is a great segue uh, to uh, what will happen this summer, which is, uh, you've probably been reading, is the, the, uh, uh, the next Lambeth Conference, uh, which will take place the middle of July to the first week in August. Uh, it's an every 10-year meeting of all the bishops of the Anglican Communion. Uh, and given all the conversations of the last several years, uh, I, uh, I hope um, that uh, uh, you, you will sort of take some time to ke- te- keep up with it. Uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury has called us together uh, and has determined that, uh, that he wants us to return um, to the original model of the Lambeth Conference, which is to say this is not a legislative meeting. Uh, we don't have any real mechanism in the Anglican Communion for all the bishops to get together and decide what they think is the case and then tell everybody else. That's not the way it works in Anglicanism. Uh, and, and that was the way the Lambeth Conference uh, operated from 15, uh, 15, 1867 when it f- first was formed. Uh, and that's telling itself. You know, we think about the ancient church. Well, you know, 1867 is hardly the ancient church. Um, uh, anyway... Um, and so we will, uh, we will gather, hopefully, in a time where the bishops can get together, get to know one another, uh, spend time in prayer together, spend time in Bible study together, spend time in conversation, of course, but that it will be minimally a legislative meeting, which is the way the Lambeth Conference has been through much of our Anglican history. Uh, only in the last two or so, 88 and 98, has it sort of turned the corner into being a legislative meeting where decisions were made, but decisions, quite frankly, that had no real, uh, no real uh, uh, capital, when you get right down to it, I mean, uh, they, were, they, could, they were just sort of, you know, uh, purple suggestions, um, <laughs> and, and so, um, uh, and, and, but, but they've caused an enormous consternation, of course, uh, in, in the life of the church, and so the archbishop hopes that we can return that, and I'm uh, hoping and praying that he will hold his ground on that and not let some others who will, in no doubt, try to hijack the agenda and make it a legislative meeting and whatever. I'm hoping that he will hold his ground on that, and uh, really, you know, the last Lambeth Conference in 1998, uh, Archbishop Carey was trying to keep the lid on things, but he allowed some people to hijack the agenda, and basically, the misery that we've gone through in the last 10 years is heavily due to the fact that he didn't stick to the agenda, and he allowed the agenda to get hijacked. Uh, And so, Archbishop Williams, I think, is going to try to sort of restore the nature of the conversation so that we can move on and, and, and so forth. But the reason this but this meeting is important for one reason. I just want to emphasize, uh, not the legislative side of it or anything like that. But as Anglicans, we are, as you know, uh, from from All Saints, uh, whatever particular network within the church you're a part of. Our whole system does not work on the basis of of uh, legalities or. I mean, we do have canons, we do have some rules we have to operate by locally and whatever. But we, we don't operate uh, legalistically, we operate relationally. Uh, and so, you know, how, how is it that the Anglican Communion really works? Well basically, it's a web of relationships. And obviously one of those pieces of, one of the a key part of that web are the bishops from around the world who are in conversation with one another and who are trying to drive the mission of the church. Uh, I mean, for example, when, when uh, most of the Lambeth conferences, if you look back through the history of them, most of them were devoted to the bishops of the church getting together and saying, okay, um, how is it that the bishops from the, the, the stronger parts of the communion, whether that meant strong economically or strong numerically or strong politically or strong in terms of our influence upon the great uh, leaders of the nations or, I mean, whatever that particular element meant. Um, you know, how is it that, w- that we can use that strength to influence the, the mission and, uh, in, and so forth in, in, less, uh, um, in, in, in places that are in greater need? Uh, and again, whether that's influencing governments to support it, whether it's our own giving, whether it's our own mission work, regardless of what it might be. Uh, just simply to have that uh, uh, ability for the strong to support those who are less strong uh, so that we can get the mission of Jesus done uh, in, in the world. And um, let me give, give you a, a wonderful example of that. Uh, just before, just a few years ago, before the, Limba, uh, the Lambeth Commission met, which was the commission that met in response to the actions of the Episcopal Church um, at the 2003 General Convention, um, one of the reporters asked Archbishop Williams uh, about, uh, you know, the Anglican Communion and and how what you know what the rules were about this and what the rules were about that, and he looked at him and said, "What rules?" He said, "The Anglican Communion, you have to understand," and then he went through this long list of things. It's when the Mothers Union in Lancashire makes blankets for a flooded area in South America. It's when a youth group in Ecuador comes to Atlanta and joins with a youth group at All Saints and, and builds a house. It is when, you know, the people in Kansas help build a new church in, for the Anglicans in Jordan. Uh, that's the Anglican communion. Because why? Because it's all relational and it's all mission-driven. It is not... Structure-driven, or legal-driven, or canon-driven, it is mission and relationally-driven. Uh, that reminds me; uh, uh, he's no longer the bishop of Armagh, but uh, Robin Eames, who is a uh, long-time the primate of Ireland, uh, the Anglican Church in Ireland, um, <coughs> was um, was asked. Uh, he was the chair uh, of the Lambeth Commission, uh, and. The night before it met, the press got to him and said, Archbishop Eames, do you think the Anglican Communion is going to vote to throw the Episcopal Church out? And he stood there for a moment, and then that, that, that absolutely world-class Irish grin of his just very gently began to slide up his face. And he looked into the camera and said, Child, as only Archbishop Eames could, Child it is not altogether clear to me how one becomes a part of the Anglican Communion. So it is even less clear to me how one would get out of it. <laughs> and so, but, it's, but remember, it's, it's sort of a, a, a relational thing. So I hope, um, the, the other thing, and I, I do this every Sunday, I just hope you will, when Lambeth gets here about the middle of, of, uh, of July and goes to the 5th or 6th of August, uh, and... Uh, First of all, I hope you'll pray for me and for Bishop Whitmore. I mean, um, together with our spouses, we will be living in dormitories for three weeks at Kent University. We'll be eating not only English food, but English cafeteria food, <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, and the dormitories at University of Kent are not air-conditioned, uh, and uh, so pray for rain or something, I guess. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what. Um, but, but, but seriously, I hope you'll remember the conference in your, in your prayers. I'm sure it'll be in the intercessions here at the parish on Sundays during that time. Uh, but, but one of the things that, that I think is, uh, I mean, it, it really does have the potential of changing the conversation in the communion. Uh, and my hope and prayer is that it will change that conversation in very positive directions, in more missional directions, more relational directions, and get the communion's uh, uh, interactions back on track uh, after having run off the track uh, these, these last years because we got into sort of legislative mode decision-making mode rather than staying in missional mode, um, which is how you move the church's life, um, life forward. But the other thing I want to say about that is, it'll be in the paper. But please, please, please get your information from a good source. Uh, I would like to believe that your best source will probably be Episcopal News Service, uh, which will be there. and There will be reporters from the Episcopal News Service everywhere. Uh, Anglican News Service would be a second choice. But you've got to really be careful. And let me tell you, let me give you one quick story. Uh, back when the when the bishops met back in, in um, September in New Orleans, this was the meeting where, you know, we were supposed to fish or cut bait. And we were, according to the press, you know, and we didn't know about that until we read it in the paper. Um, <laughs> uh, but but one of, one of the interesting things about that, I was one of the press officers for that particular meeting in the House of Bishops. Uh, and when I met with the press corps, um, I, I, I got somewhere with the Times-Picayune in New Orleans. And I got somewhere with the representative who had gone, gone to New Orleans from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. But all of the major outlets, the New York Times, Chicago Tribune, the Associated Press, Reuters, had already written the story. And we hadn't even had the meeting. Uh, and, and they would say to me things like, you know, when, when are the bishops going to release the statement, you know, uh, what, what does the statement say? The statement hasn't been written. Well, wh- when are you going to release the statement? After it's written. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it was just, I mean, yeah, and, but then the next morning the paper is not only told us about the, um, they told us all about the statement. And what was in it, what its content would be, and so forth. I kept telling them, as the press officer, that the statement had not been written, which was true. And then, of course, two or three days later when the statement was written, it said nothing like what they said it was going to say in the paper. So in other words, don't read the paper. You'll get your best information from Episcopal News Service that'll tell you exactly what's going on uh, because they serve us and it's their job to inform Episcopalians what's going on. So be careful what you read in the paper, especially if it comes from one of the news outlets that um, that that really wants to see this differently. Okay, uh, that's what's going on uh, on the international front, um, and um, I hope uh, couple just a couple other things. Um, the uh, uh, Episcopal Relief and Development could use your support, uh, and you can uh, if, if you got a few extra dollars here or there. That uh, uh, I mean, enormous work to be done in Myanmar, uh, enormous work to be done. Uh, in uh, some of the flooded areas of South uh, South America, uh, nor no doubt the tornadoes. Uh, I heard coming this morning that the death toll from yesterday's tornadoes is up to twenty, with a couple of deaths here in Georgia. Um, those are, you know, and so uh, both domestically and internationally, uh, the relief efforts right now are are really really uh, extraordinary. And so I I commend Episcopal Relief and Development to you uh, for um, uh, for your support in these. Um, these very difficult, uh, very difficult times. Uh, finally, let me circle back to the diocese and uh, to say uh, I'm grateful to, to many folks here at All Saints uh, for your support, uh, uh, always, but particularly uh, for your uh, support of our two newest congregations, uh, Christ the King in, uh, in the Northeast, uh, Northeast Metro, uh, which is an intentionally international congregation. The congregation continues to grow, continues to thrive. Uh, they are in a kind of a. They started out in a sort of a storefront and a shopping center, uh, and and now they've uh, they've t- they've taken over not only the rather large space they started in, but uh, two two more spaces down, knocked the walls out. So we've almost got one whole wing of the shopping center, as uh, is, is Christ the King Episcopal, and that's a that's a good thing, um, and um, and so. Um, you know, it was uh, in, in, in negotiating that, uh, they didn't really want us to be in the shopping center. Uh, they didn't have any problem having a church there. Uh, but they, they were afraid that we'd be offended that on the other end of the shopping center was a liquor store. Um, and I had to I had to kind of overcome that with them. Uh, you know, and, and, and say, so, you know, uh, I mean, some of us do, some of us don't. But, you know, that really won't be an issue. Uh, as a matter of fact, we might actually be able to help business from time to time, you know. Um, And so, finally, with a little work, they let us in. Um, uh, The other thing is St. Benedict's. Uh, St. Benedict's in south-central Cobb County, Uh, uh, you know, Vining, Smyrna, Mableton, that whole region that it's beginning to serve out there. Um, All Saints has been very helpful uh, in, uh, in getting... Uh, encouraging and and, and being supportive of of that effort. I'm glad to say that the congregation has now been worshiping about four months together after about a year of legwork to get it organized and get things up and running. Um, And uh, Sunday attendance is north of 200 um, and and tends to be growing all the time. And we are are on to some property uh, in a fabulous location, uh, very high traffic area where we'll be very visible and a lot of people will see us, a lot of people know that we're there uh, and so forth. Uh, as you can imagine it 's going to be a very expensive property uh, but uh, but and there 's also you know, a lot of uh, business wrangling to do in that uh, I spend a you know, good bit of time uh, working with some of the details of that and and our uh, lawyers and advisors and real estate advisors and whatever it's a it 's a very significant um, uh, piece of work uh, but i hope uh, hope that you will continue to support and pray for the effort of of starting that congregation, you know, one of the, I, I tell them, and of course I'm always talking about you, uh, but I, you know, people say, well, you know, we don't want to put a church too close to this one because, you know, you might take all our members away. And I say, remember, the five largest parishes in the Diocese of Atlanta are the five that are closest together. Um, and if you think about that for a minute, it's, it's pretty much the case. And I said, the reason for that is putting a congregation near another congregation really doesn't take your business. The difference, and the reason for that is just think about it. I and mean, we live in Georgia where we have a state church. <laughs> and the and the reason there's a Baptist church on every corner is because there's a Baptist church on every corner. So when people start thinking of church, they automatically think of them because they're everywhere. Right? Well, it's a visibility issue. All the people who do church growth research and analysis say it's a matter of visibility. You know, which churches are the most visible? And and so in... And, you know, our churches are always larger in those communities where there are more churches. And, in, you know, you go into a town where we're the only Episcopal church within 50 miles, we're almost always a small church. If you go into a town where there are five Episcopal churches close to one another, they're almost always bigger. In some cases, real big. So it's, it's, the, it's the Baptist church on every corner principle. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, we're a long way from being done here. Uh, I hope we can... Uh, you know, we've, we've got lots of places. Just think, for example, how many congregations you can think of, Episcopal congregations in Fulton County. And then think about the fact that by the end of this decade, by 2010, Gwinnett County will have the largest population of any county in the state of Georgia if the present trends continue. We have four congregations in Gwinnett County. And each of them are congregations of around 1,000 to 1,200 people. But even then, they can't begin to handle the population shift to Gwinnett County. So, you know, uh, it, it, pe- you know pe- when people think about starting new churches, they think of Sonoya. Well, that's a place we need to put a church to. But, but I mean, you think, well, you know, we need, we need more Episcopal congregations in Gwinnett County. Our most recent starts in Cobb County. Of course, we're in a part of Cobb County that has historically been industrial. Uh, but a lot of those factories and a lot of those plants and a lot of those things that have been out there that some of you remember from childhood in that, that neck of the woods out there in central Cobb County, all that's been torn down and they've built houses as far as the eye can see. Um, and, and so there needs to be a con- congregations out there uh, to serve those populations. Anyway, I'll stop there. We've got about ten minutes. So I didn't mean to talk that long. Um, uh, but uh, answer questions about any of that or anything else that's on your mind. And I've learned to wait for a minute or two. Yeah. Yes, Noelle. So you mentioned Gwinnett County, is there a neighborhood or an area, where's the next, where do you throw the next um, well that that's a, good ex- that's, a, that's a good question because interestingly enough, most of our parishes in Gwinnett County tend to be around the perimeter of the county. So it's going to be probably sticking something in the center. But, uh, you know, exactly. Exactly what that um, looks like uh, is uh, is yet to be determined. I mean, but Gwinnett County's on the list somewhere. Yeah, you know. but I mean, think. Well, let me just give you an example of, of how fast that's moved, though. You know, uh, St. Columbus, Johns Creek uh, opened its doors for. I mean, they've been doing some groundwork for a year or so before, but opened its doors for worship uh, September two thousand. September the first Sunday in September two thousand three. And uh, their membership is already over 1,200, and Sunday attendance is generally between seven and 800. Uh, and that's what a f- not even four-year-old congregation. So, uh, anyway, that that's the kind of potential there is. And and the nice thing about that is, you know, people sometimes wonder if well, you start a new congregation, you just remix the Episcopalians. Uh, there there are a handful of Episcopalians who, who have moved out in that direction and, and who have quit driving into St. Martin's or quit driving into some of the other parishes around. But that's not the that's not most of the story. The the over half of the congregation at St. Columbus are new Episcopalians, and over half of them are new Christians. So I mean so that's that's as it should be. Yes, sir. What's the most difficult thing about starting Money. Yeah, the, the two hardest things about, uh, I mean, locating the proper location, doing that kind of groundwork. I mean, we've got people who are expert at that kind of stuff, know, know how to figure that kind of stuff out. The hardest two things are to do, is in, is in this market to raise the money uh, because, you know, we can't do it like we used to do it, which is to say we're going to get a dozen people to, to meet in somebody's living room. And then after a few years, there are 40 people and they can't fit in the living room anymore. So they build a little sort of lean-to on a slab. And then they kind of, you know, build up from there over time. That simply won't work anymore. I mean, you've got to start right out of the gate and, and, and so forth. So it costs money and, of course, especially anywhere in the Diocese of Atlanta where the northern half of the state of Georgia, pretty much anywhere the real estate costs right now are, are serious. And so we've got to do it together as a diocese and, and not... Um, and look at it in terms of the long-term investment uh, and not, uh, we, we can't leave that on the back of individual congregations anymore like we once were able to do. That's number one. The second hardest thing is finding the right priest. Because you've got to, you know, there are all kinds of priests with all different kinds of capabilities, uh, you know, of, of all different sorts of abilities. And, and they, they serve really effectively if they're in the right niche. But to find somebody who's the kind of right mix of spiritual leader and entrepreneur, um, and, and, um, and, 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 to, and to really have the, the organizational gifts and, and the drive, you know, to go to out here in a community where there's nothing. There's no piece of property. There's no building. There's no nothing. And to begin to rustle, rustle that up um, is, uh, I mean, those are the two critical factors. The, the financial resources and, and then finding the, the kind of priest that, that can drive that train especially in the early years. Yes, ma'am. What's happening in the rural churches? What's happening in rural Georgia? In rural Georgia? Uh, I'm pleased to say that, that really depends on where we I mean, we've got um, uh, a, a number of congregations that uh, are, are still vital and healthy. Uh, we've got a, a small handful that, that really are sort of holding on for dear life. Let me just give you a, 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 an example of that. Um, uh, uh, St. Mary's in Montezuma is a wonderful Montezuma, Georgia, down near Americus, actually it was a mission years ago of the parish, the large parish in downtown Americus, they put this mission congregation out in the country, didn't realize they would put it in the Diocese of Atlanta, (laughs) Um, (coughs) but um, somebody wasn't paying attention, Um, but anyway, uh, but but St. Mary, and and it's a wonderful group of people, uh, and and they actually have some mission and some ministries going on. They look after various things in their community. They feed people. I mean, it, I, I don't want to. I mean, they are doing full church. They really are. But if everybody shows up on the same Sunday, it's only 14 of them. Uh, but but um, but I mean, they really are. I mean, they're not letting any grass grow under their feet. And yet, they don't have any prospects, serious prospects for growth, because you know what little industry Montezuma had is pretty much closed. Uh, It is basically simply a little small residential Georgia town uh, that you live when either you have your own means or your own fixed income or, I mean, there's not a lot entrepreneurial going on in Montezuma at this point. Now, you know, I don't believe in closing churches. I hope that that 14 will remain faithful. And uh, matter of fact, uh, they they had a huge, uh, huge jump in membership about three years ago when they wrote me this lovely letter said, Bishop, you know, we, we, we've grown by whatever it would be, you know, 40% this year or something like that. Which was just when they, uh, 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 re- people had grown up in town, retired, moved back, rejoined the church where they were confirmed, so the membership went from 12 to 14, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, and that was a bumper crop, you know. I mean, they were, they were that was terrific. Um, but, you know, so there are some, some of those. The, another challenge for the smaller congregations, of course, is clergy. Now, we are blessed right now uh, in the Diocese of Atlanta, that because we're a destination diocese and we've got lots of clergy and, and a lot of clergy when they retire want to stay in the diocese uh, and part of that some of the benefits that the diocese of Atlanta provides for retired clergy that other dioceses don't frankly um, uh, but what that means is a, a congregation let me give you an example like Saint James in Cedartown. that's a congregation of about a hundred probably typical Sunday attendance is about fifty five or sixty maybe about a hundred on the roll okay uh, and and uh, but, but, but they're not in a position to have a full-time priest anymore. But there's a very uh, young at heart, uh, strong, vital, uh, retired priest who lives in the next community over, uh, who's uh, had all his big churches, and he's happy. And and, and, and he doesn't you know he, and, and, and it's a perfect job for him because he gets to work on Sunday, which is what he loves to do. Uh, he gets to be there a day or a day and a half a week, make hospital calls, look after things, all that kind of stuff, and still play golf three days a week. You know, And he's happy, they're happy. But we're blessed to be able to do that. Every, every one of those situations like that that we need. Thus far, I've been able to find uh, a, a young at heart, healthy, uh, energetic, retired priest uh, to, to keep things going. Same thing's going on in Calhoun and some other places. Um, and so we're very, very grateful for that. That's not a, you know, we, there are dioceses in the Episcopal Church where almost 50% of the parishes have no clergy. Uh, but because we're a large destination diocese, so to speak, we don't have that problem, uh, but you know, we've got to keep working at this so that we don't work ourselves into that problem. That's that's a key problem. though. Okay, it's probably time to quit. But it, no, we actually we got about two more minutes according to my watch. Anybody? Yes, yes, sir. Uh, I don't know if you have time to describe this, but what is the relationship? Our relationship with the Lutheran Church? And how, I don't understand. the connection? Sure. Uh, as the question is uh, what what are, what's our official relationship with the with the Lutheran Church? Uh, uh, in, uh, in the last, you have to, I'm, I'm not sure what the year was, uh, uh, 1998 or 99, somewhere along in there, we, we, uh, we, went in, we entered into a full communion agreement with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And basically uh, what that full communion agreement means fundamentally is that under certain circumstances we can exchange clergy. For example, the, the, the priest at um, St. Mary Magdalene Episcopal Church in Columbus, is actually a gentleman by the name of Harry Carlson. And with a name like Harry Carlson, you can tell what his pedigree is. Uh, He's he's a Scandinavian Lutheran. Uh, And and so, uh, but but he's a retired uh, Lutheran pastor and is looking after our congregation. By the same token, uh, Dwight Osier, who is one of our retired priests, is looking after the Lutheran church in Cumming. Uh, And uh, and then we have another retired priest, Bill McLemore, who's looking after the uh, Lutheran church, Advent Lutheran in LaGrange. Uh, and so now the, the, the pastors of the two churches can kind of interchange where, where necessary. Um, and then, but the, the hope of the thing is, is the parishes will do real grassroots work. Now, this is working marvelously in some other parts of the country uh, uh, where Lutherans and Episcopalians are more balanced, so to speak. But, but, but we so outnumber the Lutherans in this part of the country. Uh, I mean, there are eight Episcopal dioceses. That are the same geographical territory as the Southeastern Synod. Uh, now their bishop is here in town with me, but, but I mean the, I mean he covers all of Georgia, uh, all of Alabama, all of Tennessee, all of Mississippi. and that's the equivalent of the eight episcopal dioceses. And so it's very hard to except at the, at the local level. Um, uh, but I mean, you think of how many episcopal churches there are in Atlanta, and then you think about how many Lutheran churches there are, there' are about five or six. By comparison, Uh, and uh, you know, you can go to now. You can go to North Carolina, or parts of South Carolina, like Newberry County, South Carolina, has more Lutherans per square inch than any place on the face of the earth. (laughs) Um, uh, Even more than places like Wisconsin and Minnesota. I mean, Newberry County, South Carolina, is like a hotbed of Lutheranism. Um, But but uh, but anyway. But hopefully, it's it's mission work. One of the things. Just give you two examples quickly of what we've been talking about in our relationship with the Lutherans. One is is uh, doing a better job at, at, at campus ministry together, and Noelle was, uh, was uh, very instrumental in working out some of those relationships when she was the chaplain before she came to the parish full time. Uh, another one is we're talking about is, is um, because of the, the cost factor that we talked about earlier uh, in terms of new congregations um, is in some critical places, wouldn't it make sense for us and for the Lutherans to build one building and it serve two congregations? Uh, this is an old thing. that You go up in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of what the so-called union churches where, where a, uh, a united church and a Lutheran church or a reformed church and a Lutheran church or whatever, uh, they, they own a building together. So there's a joint board of directors for all the physical plant and that kind of stuff. Uh, but they share the same nave, same parish hall, same classrooms and that kind of stuff. Then they have two separate office suites for the clergy of the two different congregations uh, and that kind of stuff. And then they figure out ways to, to schedule things, and then that, but those parishes also will do a lot together. Uh, they'll, you know, do, they'll do certain kind of mission projects and so forth together, but they'll worship uh, at different times, at different hours, and so forth. But I have a friend who's a pastor of a, of a, a Lutheran Episcopal Union congregation in Galax, Virginia, um, and he says, you know, the fact of the matter is, after a couple of years, uh, people decide they're going to go to 9 or 11, and they go to nine, and, and, and they, it kind of alternates on some kind of very complex schedule. He said, and he said, people just finally give up. And they go to the nine o'clock service. And if it's a Lutheran book this week, fine. If it's the prayer book this week, it's fine. They're just going to go to nine o'clock no matter what happens <laughs> and not try to keep up with the, with the moving, it, moving it around and that kind of stuff. But anyway, so that's another practical thing that I hope we will see because buildings, you know, buildings are enormously expensive, land is enormously expensive. And, of course, some churches sit empty a lot of the week. And so if we could build a, a, a larger and, and, and environmentally friendly buildings, but we could let them be shared by two congregations, uh, wouldn't that, you know, I mean, we, we, you know, we're doing something positive for the environment, we're doing something for the ecumenical movement, and we're probably gathering a larger congregation to do mission in that community. So that's a positive thing. And on that note, dear friends, it's wonderful to be with you, and we'll see you in church.